I love the culture's perspective on what they think the church is. I love it when parents tell their kids we're going to church and they all say, oh, and they throw themselves on the floor. Uh, but I also love when kids are like, when are we going to church? And uh, I love that. I love that children often lead their families to be a part of the church. And so um, whenever you see those shows and cultures, definitions and what they think about the church, I, I would almost say, don't get mad. Just understand this is, this is a part of our call is to address what the church really is. And uh, I know when we say that word church, there are a number of words that would come to mind. If you were to play a word association game on the street with most people and say the word church, you would get a number of responses. I mean, the practicals would be a building. I mean, that's what a lot of people think of. Um, I know for me, one of my defaults is thinking of the cheesy church signs, uh, one like this one. Um, what, what happens in Vegas is forgiven here. Uh, and then probably one of my favorite church signs I've ever seen is this one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? Exactly. Boom. Roasted. Um, I don't know what you think of when you think of church or the phrase or the word itself. Um, maybe some of you think cold. Maybe some of you think boring, angry, constrictive, nosy, gossipy, uh, which they are. Let's just throw that out there. We prayer requests, but truly we're gossiping. Uh, the church has been known to gossip, and that's because it's our fault, and we're flesh, and we, we do those things. So some of these things may actually be true, and I just want you to know that we need to own it, and we need to thank God that Jesus isn't done with us. All right? So um, condemning, arrogant... Mean, judgy, clickish. Some of you think of church as a loss of sleep. Or some of you are catching up on your sleep. I see you out there. Um, a corporation, corruption. But maybe some of you have a, a better thought on what the church is. Maybe you have a view of it as your family. Because you haven't had a family. Maybe it's become a family to you. Maybe it's been a place where... Your life was, was saved, not just dealing with eternity, but physically your life was spared from the life that you may have been living. A place of rest, a place of transformation, the church as a force for change in the world. I think sometimes we forget that without churches, schools, hospitals, wells, human um, injustices going on around the world, the church has for centuries been going to war against these things being taken to places, schools, hospitals, care for people, and fighting against things. Now granted, she has a mixed past. We understand that, but we do know that Christ loves his church. He died for his bride. And in Christ, you and I are not just invited to come to God, but we are actually connected to one another. And in the Apostles' Creed, for seven weeks now, uh, we've been making a confession of rebellion and allegiance. And by rebellion, I mean we rebel by these confessions together against the philosophies of the world. We talked about the isms of the world last week, and I don't have time to go over those things again. But when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I am pushing back against the culture's definitions and philosophies that are attempting to shape my life. 
At the same time, I'm also confessing an allegiance to God. I'm saying, God, your word is true. What you have said about who you are, who I am, who we are in relationship to that, what's gone wrong, what needs to happen to fix it, and hope for, I believe you. I believe you. And so the the Apostles' Creed goes this way, and um, I'll just be reading it. And then later in this service, if you're one who would say, I I confess these things, we'll confess them together. Um, Can you put it up on the screen for me? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That confession, for those of you that may or may not have a background in the church, is not found in the scriptures. You won't look up the Apostles' Creed and find it in the Bible. But you will find the elements that are spoken out loud, that we both speak and hear together, are taught by the Apostles. And so we've been referring to the Apostles' Creed not as an authority over us, but they are a springboard into the Word of God, which is the authority that we look to as Christ followers. No matter what the culture tries to say, Christ followers say that the Word of God holds sway, holds authority over our life. So when it comes to my word or his word, I'm going with his word. As hard as that may be, in a day and an age that is saying, you don't need to go with his word, you need to do you, be you, you need to listen to yourself and to your heart and all these different things. I'm like, dude, my heart is broken. My heart is messed up. And if I do that, I'm going to slap people in the face. I'm going to go take their money. I'm going to run into them with my car. I don't know. If I listen to my heart, bad things happen. (laughs) But what I'm saying is that the, the Apostles' Creed is our way of saying, God, we believe you. God, you say you're... Almighty and your Father. And so here we are saying, we believe you. We declare that what you have said is true. And so we've been going through for almost seven weeks, seven, eight weeks now, the Apostles' Creed and letting it springboard us into the conversation. And this week, we're looking at the, the one that I think has made some people go, what in the world? We're not Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I'm not Roman Catholic. I'm not bad. What do we do? Why are we saying that? Well, if you'll notice, it's a little c. That little c means universal. And it's not the Roman Catholic organization that you may be used to seeing on the earth right now. It is the universal one holy church. And that's where you'll see some people change that word so it doesn't cause confusion. But we're just going with what what they said. You know, I think there's a couple of different songs that are out that kind of try and teach the Apostles' Creed. And they say, one holy church or the universal church. They're all saying the same thing. And that simply is that our church... The church of Jesus is not limited to these doors. We're not limited to the space that we're in this room. Highland Christian Church does not exist on on her own. She exists as a part of the greater body of Christ. Not just around the world now, which is an amazing, mind-blowing thought, but through history. We're not just connected to the current body of Christ around the world, and we'll talk about what that looks like in just a second, but... Throughout history, these creeds, these confessions, unite us to brothers and sisters who have at the cost of their lives made these very same declarations. 
And so through the Apostles' Creed, we've been through the Father, we've, been through the, we've talked about the Son, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about God as three in one, and it's a mystery to Christ followers that there is one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are not three separate gods. They are not a third God each. They are not a portion of God. They are all one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we experience fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when we come together. They existed before all... Like, Genesis is amazing to me because Genesis is the beginning of our history, not the beginning of God's history. And that's a beautiful thing. That is a powerful image to know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed in all eternity. No creation, no beginning, no end for them. They existed and they were in perfect fellowship with one another. And for some reason, they chose to open that perfect, joy-filled, happy relationship up to us. Do <laughs> you think about that? <laughs> like... We, creation didn't come about out of chaos. It came about out of joy and relationship. And somehow, because the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed in this perfect relationship throughout all eternity, we have been invited in to experience that fellowship and relationship with one another. Now, obviously, we have flesh and we make errors. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. But because we're the church, we interact with each other differently because of his presence among us. Um, in 1561, uh, since the birth of the church, there have been historians that have suggested that about every 500 years, the church goes through what would be considered a fire sale. They basically go, you know what? We have taken on so much of programming and, and thoughts of the world and ideas and culture stuff, we got to get back to the basics. We've got to return to what we know. And in 1561, as the Roman Catholic Church was, was kind of dominating things, there were these guys that got together and there were these, these forms that were put together. There were three forms of unity and one of those was the Belgic Confession. And there were a couple things that you as a Christ follower would be confessing out loud about salvation, about sin, about humanity, about the church. And this is one of those confessions that they were trying to, to make known among those who believed in Jesus for salvation. Not works, but in Jesus for salvation. And now, it'll be on the screen. This is Article 27. You can go and look up the Belgic Confession and be like, wow, this is crazy. This is amazing. This is exactly who we are. And so these are the words, we believe and profess one Catholic or universal, they're even having to address it then, universal church, which is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The church has been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end thereof, which is evident from this that Christ is an eternal king, which without subjects he cannot be. And this holy church is preserved or supported by God against the rage of the whole world, though it sometimes for a while appears very small, and in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing, as during the perilous reign of Ahab the Lord reserved unto him 7,000 men who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Furthermore, this holy church is not confined 
bound or limited to a certain place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed over the whole world and yet is joined and united with heart and will by the power of faith and in one and the same spirit. This is not just a group of people who get together to do good things. This is a group of people united together, bound together because of our expectation of salvation coming in Christ Jesus alone. It is not a good works club. It is not a country club. It is not this, hey, I I align with them in the way they do things. This is a group of people who have come together expecting our salvation to come in Christ Jesus alone. No other thing on this earth, no other work that I am capable of, but faith that Jesus has done and is everything I need in this life. You know, it's interesting as you go around the world. Um, I went to China a couple of years ago, uh, and, and I, wanna, I want you to see this is when we were in a village in, in, in East Asia where we were, this is where we sat together with the only believers in this village, and we sang songs together, and we read from 1 John together the text of God's love for us first. And, and in, in that moment, there was a this is much bigger. The church is much bigger than I know. The church is farther reaching. The grace of God is farther reaching than I understand. Several years ago, I had a chance to go to Ecuador and and, and see how compassion worked. And this man right here, um, I told you a story of a woman named Rosita who was a, a church planter in Ecuador. And this is her husband, And that day, as we were all together, he was proclaiming the gospel, and they just did this massive amount of baptisms in the ocean. And I knew at that moment, the church is much bigger. You know, you know those things. You you, you trust that the church is at work around the world, but it's when you start seeing those things happening regularly. And then lastly, um, I was able to go to Egypt for a little bit, and uh, what you, where I'm standing right here is what's, what's the cave churches, but the story of the cave church is a fascinating story. It was discovered under a garbage heap. Basically, there's a portion of Cairo, Egypt that's just garbage city, and it's literally these people who make their lives going around Cairo, filling their wagons with all the garbage, sorting it, and that's how they make their money. And so there was a Coptic Christian and a missionary Christian trying to work together, and they were trying to create this space of playing for, for the kids and orphans and, and uh, those families that needed that space, and they were trying to clear out some garbage. And as they were digging, they discovered these cave churches underneath a garbage heap. Cave churches where Christ followers have been worshiping for centuries. That was underneath garbage. You talk about the hope of Christ being found literally in the dumps. I knew at that moment the church is much greater, grander, and beautiful, and covering, far-reaching than I even have words for. You and I, as Christ's followers, confess a universal Church, And when I say universal, I don't mean universal Unitarian, that everyone's a part of it. I mean there are believers, people who are expecting Christ's salvation to come all over the planet. 
you're not alone. You and I are not alone. But the confession doesn't just stop with a, yeah, that's cool, there's a worldwide church. It actually continues, the communion of saints. Now, um, with this, we're actually saying, I believe that I belong to a bigger picture. The communion of saints is me saying, I actually invest. So it's thinking globally, serving locally. It's thinking big picture, but where do I play a part in being engaged in this work of expecting and believing that Jesus is who he says he is? In 1563, the Heidelberg Confession, which is another series of these documents that were coming out trying to help Christ followers put into words simply what they believe. And question 54 is this. What believest thou concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? That the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, and preserves to himself by his spirit and word, out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. These were confessions made by those who believe in Christ. The 55th question, there's a lot of questions they ask that you can have answers to. It's pretty amazing, uh, very basic. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him and all of his riches and gifts. Secondly, the secondly one right here, I think we, is where we struggle the most. That everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. See, this is the hard, hard task of rubbing shoulders with broken, sinful human beings. And it's often the reason we don't want to do it. It's because we don't want to have to put up with other people's stuff. And we don't want others to have to put up with our stuff. But part of the confession of those who claim Christ as Savior is the overseeing, the teaching, the reminding, the engaging in mission together because Jesus is our salvation. We do this together. Oftentimes, when you read through the New Testament, all you're seeing Paul do is remind the church of what she already knows. We talk about being forgetful people here all the time because we are. We are forgetful people, and we also want to forget things too. But when I have somebody saying to me, hey, dude, it seems to me that you're running after things that are actually going to destroy you. Do we want that? Do we need that? Two different questions. God made us to interact in this way. As he called us to himself, he called us to one another. And so today we're actually going to be baptizing uh, those who have said Jesus is enough. I believe Jesus to be who he says he is. And part of the, there are two elements that united these Christ followers together. And one of those things was baptism and the other was the Lord's Supper. What we did together with the bread and the juice, it was this unifying moment that said we are connected as a people, not by our works, but because of what Christ has done. And so when we say the communion of saints, we're not just talking about the meal. We're actually talking about the fellowship that goes on among the people of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, because of who God is, 
We see how we live. Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Jesus' life matters because it covers us. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God has us. He's got us. He's holding us. He keeps us. He guards us. He preserves us. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, the church has gotten so used to this personal relationship with Jesus we say the phrase, we talk about it all the time, and in a way, what we have done is we have taken a very communal faith, a very public faith, and we've made it about our private, personal time with Jesus. We've said that somehow this private thing is all about me. Look, here's the thing. If you've chosen to follow Christ, you have chosen the least private faith that there is. Sorry. <laughs> So if you're like, oh, I was looking for just kind of like this feel-good, do my chicken soup for my soul thing, you, wrong. <laughs> it's actually a group of people who suffer well together. It's being in lives together. It's, it's journeying together. We read from a book that is communal in nature. We, we read from the text that was actually read to a congregation of people at the same time. This personal private thing actually strips the church of her power because it was meant to be done together. We were meant to do this life very publicly, which obviously we live in a day and an age. Uh, if you haven't read the book, The Church of Facebook by Jesse Rice, I want to encourage you to do that. He basically talks about these things that we have taken for granted in American history that have actually forced the issue of this private, go by yourself, don't live among people. And he talks about simple things like the invention of, of the back porch. Like he talks about how most houses in America put all of their efforts into their front porch so that they could sit together, sipping their tea and lemonade, whatever it is, uh, sit out front. Now, where do we put all the money in? Back porch, our personal, private retreats, so no one can see us. We build high, 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 high fences. Because we don't want to know what's going on. He talked about air conditioning. He talked about all of these modern conveniences that brought everyone inside rather than outside. He talks about just the fact that most of your friends probably live driving distance away from you, not walking distance. So we live in a culture that all it does is kind of reinforce this individual, private way of living. And we're actually going to war against those thoughts as the church. We don't do this alone. We don't go it alone. Paul Tripp says it this way. True friendship calls you out of the darkness of personal privacy into the loving candor of mutual concern. It moves you from being a sealed envelope to being an open letter. 
See, I, I'm not against social media. I love the internet. I do. I think it can be a great tool in the right hands. But I think there's this, there's this thought in the world today that because I'm connected via social media that I actually have community. Now, based on the ability to Skype and, and talk around the world, your community has expanded. But I do believe that in the case of social media, we have to be very careful with our hearts. Are we going, I, it's cool with me to be connected, but I don't have deep relationships with anyone. There's a difference. There's a difference between connectivity and deep relationships or community, as we call it, among the Christ followers and what that looks like. And simply, here's what we're going to do. There are 59 one another's in Scripture. You can't do those by yourself. I want you to know that. Four of those one another's involve kissing. Now, none of those are sloppy, wet, or unforeseen, depending on which camp you come from. Um, 59 one another's. A third of those one another's are based, are built around unity. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another. Don't bite, devour, or consume one another. Don't, don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently and patiently tolerate one another. I love that that's in the scripture. I got to slow down and put up with some of you guys. You got to slow down and put up with me. That can't be done once or twice a month attending something. This is done in the trenches together. This is done making it a priority that I'm going to invest my life in you and you're going to invest your life in me. Now, granted, we can't have 500 friends because the curse of trying to know everyone leaves you knowing no one. It's, it's the truth, right? Like, if you're one of those people who is a mile wide and an inch deep, do you really know anyone? Does anyone know your fears, hopes, dreams, your, your story, your background, your journey, your hopes for the gospel and what Jesus is going to do in you and maybe your children, what you hope for your kids, what you long for your life, what you long for your workplace? What you, does anybody know that? Or do they see something on Facebook that suggests my family's perfect? Or do they, 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 they see you once in a while on a Sunday, how are you doing? Good, cool, walking out the door, gone. Can these one another's be done like that? I would suggest no. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. What if we did that as the church? Rather than going, you know what, I'm taking my toys, and I'm going to go to another church, and I'm going to do the same thing I've done. Every time I go to another church, I'm going to get mad, I'm going to get offended, I'm going to leave. Rather than talk to someone, rather than extend grace or receive grace, if you're the one who's been wronged, forgiving, or if you've wronged, asking for forgiveness because Christ causes us to live differently among each other. Seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. A third of these one, one another's involve love, instructing us to love one another. 15% of these one another stress attitude of humility towards one another. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. It just goes on and on and on. And the key is, none of these can do in a 15-second passing conversation. It just can't happen. You and I, because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, 
actually interact differently than the way the world interacts. So when was the last time you asked yourselves questions like this? How can I be concerned about you and your needs? When was the last time you asked yourself, or you said that question out loud? When was the, when was the last time? Rather than what's the least I can do, what's the most I can offer of myself? How can I lose so you can gain? These are all gospel-centered questions that we need to be asking our hearts on a daily basis. Because what happens when we don't is it becomes me, me, me. I, I, I. And we were actually meant for we. See, the danger is we fall into two extremes as human beings, and this is what we do because we're human beings. We either go to the, 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 this, I am going to be completely dependent on you. Is that a good idea? I'm so dependent on you. If I don't have you, I ain't got nothing. But then we go to the other extreme. I don't need none of y'all. I don't need nobody. See, we're either totally dependent which we can't do. We're not God. You're not God. I'm not God. God is the only one we can 100%, 110% of the time depend upon. And then we go to the independent. Well, basically what we're saying is I trust myself most, right? That's what we're doing. When we say we're, we got this, we're saying, God, you don't, I do. But the beauty of the, the gospel is that we become a people interdependent. Like, there are going to be times in my life when I need you to meet my needs. And there's going to be times in my life where I can meet your needs. But I'm looking for those times. I'm paying attention to those times. I'm putting my ear to the ground to those times. I'm listening for what needs can I meet because I'm not just, as Paul said, considering myself. I'm considering the needs of others. I do need to consider myself, yes, because then you become a doormat. You get stepped on. You get exhausted. You get poured out. You don't get filled back up. And so there are those moments when we do go, God, how is my heart? And I need the church to minister to me. But then there are other times when things are good. And I'm ready to look around and I'm ready to go, how can I meet needs? How can I do that? And it's just this beautiful interdependent relationship where we, we're like, here, we give some, we take some, we give some, we take some. We work together because it, we, we don't want the extreme of totally dependent because you and I are not God. We don't want the extreme of totally interdependent uh, inter, uh, uh, of our own selves because we are not God. We depend on each other and we experience God in the midst of that. And it's a beautiful picture of what Christ intended for us to display to the world so that the world would actually believe. Now, as the band comes and we get ready to close and we pursue baptism together, um, Jesus said there was something that was most important. He said what was most important, and it's in Mark 12, you can go and look it up. He said what's most important is that there is one Lord, and that we would love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. Okay, that's what's most important. Jesus, they were like, if if Jesus, if we get one thing, what should we get? This is what He said. Do you know the most, and I I can't figure out any other way to ask the question, do you know Jesus' most prohibitive command, the thing he said not to do the most. Probably not punch my brother or sister, probably not, uh, not be rude, not be, uh, you know what he said, don't do the most? He said, don't be afraid. 
the most prohibitive command that Jesus gave the disciples was do not be afraid. I really think that if we take what Jesus says is most important to do and what's most important not to do, you unleash the church. Because it is fear that keeps us from connecting with people. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to, we, we don't want to do this thing. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. You're going to screw up, but I'm greater. There's going to be hard things, but I'm greater. Don't be afraid. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. Don't be afraid. So if you need to put do not fear, love God, love your neighbor, or do not fear, love God, love your neighbor, do not fear. I don't know where you need to put do not fear and love God, love your neighbor in that mix, but it needs to be there. This is who we were made to be, a people who do not fear people who love God and a people who love each other. This communion of saints looks different than anything the world has ever suggested. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so difficult because what we know, we're just like people are people. And the problem is Christ followers end up living more like practical Buddhists than the people of communal faith we were meant to be. A Buddhist understands that suffering is, you don't want that. And what happens is when you love, suffering actually is a possibility because somebody could reject your love, and so you try to remove yourself from loving. That's why mountaintops are Buddhist preferred places of living. Because I don't want to be around people. Because, hey, when you love people, you get hurt. Let me tell you something. You think Jesus loved and wasn't hurt by that? Jesus suffered way more than we did. And as his bride... We are to love in that very same way. Yeah, there's going to be times when we say and do the wrong thing. I guarantee it. Can I just say we all have a story where we've been hurt by the church? Can I just say that there are some people who are taking on the hurt of the church because they saw a YouTube video and they don't trust the church? They've never experienced a Christ follower. They've never been hurt by the church, but they've been hurt by what they've seen on YouTube, Google, Facebook. And so can we just, can we just all say, yeah, 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 there's been some hard things at the church. But can we also say, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Can we also say, Jesus said, love him and love people. Because that's who we are as Christ followers. People who aren't afraid to love God and to love people. You know, I I guess I don't know for most of you if this is your desire, but Jesus gives us the big picture of why this matters In John chapter 13, he says this, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And in John 17, he said it this way, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. If you find yourself with the longing and the waiting and the anticipation of Christ's return, that's you and that's me. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect Unity that the world will know that you sent me and you love them as much as you love me. 
Because there are very real consequences and results to the way we love each other or hate each other. And the power to love each other the way Christ has said is because he dwells in us. We believe in one universal church and the communion of saints. This is who we are. Because of who God is, we have been shaped as these new people. And so for those of you in this room, if you want to stand with me, we're going to confess these things out loud. If you've got kids, hold them close. Let them hear you saying these things. If you're one who would say, you know what, I don't believe this, you don't have to say it. (laughs) Don't say it. But there are times in life when together we believe something is more powerful than individually I believe something. Together we believe these things. And for those of you in this room that would say, I do find myself believing this for the first time, I don't know what to do, well, you're invited to be baptized with those who have already said they're going to be baptized this morning. If, you decay, if you're like, I want to be baptized today, we've got a change of clothes, we've got everything, we've got towels for you. If that's you, you can, start getting, you can go over there right now and I'll meet you. But we're going to celebrate people being joined to Christ and joined to one another this morning for baptism. We're going to celebrate together because it matters when someone says Jesus is enough. And so if you want to, we can confess these things together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.